I get the privilege to hang out with you today as we are taking a look further into Nehemiah chapter 9. We're in week two of just this chapter, uh, but we are several weeks into the series, and we are going to be looking at this uh, very short passage today. Uh, But before we do that, I would love to pray for us as we continue this time of worship and grow together. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you once again for the ability to be here, the ability to meet here. And I just pray for, uh, for you to open up our hearts and our minds so that we can hear what you have to tell us, what you have to say to us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you uh, just be in our groups and that we uh, are open to your promptings and that we can just hear you speak to us this evening. We love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 22 through 37. We looked at verse 1 through, tw- uh, verse 1 through 21 last week. And uh, we, we find out that we are in uh, this very interesting part in the Israelites' lives. The, uh, or Nehemiah had this prompting from the Lord to uh, build a wall around the land that was once theirs. Uh, he went to the king, got approval. He went to this land, and, he, and they, they, they built the wall. They faced lots of dangers. They faced lots of trials. But in 52 days, they were able to put the wall up. And that is a magnificent feat because they didn't have modern construction. Uh, they've finished the wall, and now they are in this huge worship service It was the six-hour worship service that we see them partake in, which I know is like, it's kind of like an ethereal number. We can't really comprehend sitting for six hours. I know you do it every day, but you don't know what it's like. But, I mean, we're two minutes in, and I can see three of you on your phone. So you can't, I mean, six hours is very impressive. I mean, just last Friday, I I had a class that was six hours long, and I was, I was, I was about to start falling asleep in the class, except it was three people. But there's a, there's a big difference between what we're doing here and what that class looked like, what your school day looks like, and that they were celebrating. They were celebrating that God is good. They were celebrating that God worked and got this done in just 52 days. They're looking back on their past They saw all these festivals that they've not been observing and they feel a deep conviction for that, but they're celebrating God's goodness. They they begin repenting for their ancestors' sins and just they look back on all their family history, but they are still celebrating God's goodness in all of that. They're worshiping. And this is an amazing example of what worship looks like, what worship is designed to look like. We're in the second half of this worship session, and they're, they're actually singing. We can see in the format of the words that they, they are singing this song. And, you know, it doesn't rhyme like a lot of, at least to us in, in the English translation, like a lot of our songs do, but, but they're, they're looking back on God's work in their nation and how they've, frankly, poorly responded to it. And so... That brings us to our big idea for today is that God 
is faithful when we are not. God is faithful when we are not. So we're going to take a look at a very small portion of that larger text today, and we're just going to focus on that for the, for the bulk of this time, because I think it really encapsulates the entire passage. So uh, if you have been following along with our reading plan, hopefully you will have read that entire passage by now, but I would also encourage you, it's a great way to start the basics, is to take up one of those reading plans. But we're in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32 through 35. Just those four verses. Let's take a look at it. We read, Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully, while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. That was such, it's such a small chunk of the passage that we're, the larger passage that we're looking at, but it is so rich. I was, I was sitting and, and reading this text with my, with my morning coffee and I was all aesthetic. I could have taken a picture for my story, but uh, when I was reading it, I just fell in love with this portion of the text and so that's what I wanted to focus on. And I'll tell you why, but... You know, I think we should actually read it again. Is that okay? I don't, I don't really care. Uh, so we're going to read it. Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling or seem small, seem insignificant in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them, In the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. This is such a great passage for so many reasons. But there are three aspects of this text that we're going to take a look at, we're going to focus on today. We're going to see what what God's people, the Israelites, did here, how they're worshiping, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. So, The first idea here is that God's people acknowledge he is faithful even when they are not. This is pretty much based on our big idea. And it's one of the greatest messages that we can get from this text. It's the idea that God is always working. There's this pretty prevalent idea of, uh, it's called open theism. And it's this idea that's uh, pretty prevalent in 
I mean culture today, but in more agnostic circles where people who believe in a God or maybe the God of the Bible, but they're not really sure, but uh, they just kind of see what's happening in the world today and they just, they believe that, you know, God set out everybody and kind of set everything into motion and, and started, started the world, but then is just sitting back in his chair. He just rolled a bunch of dice and was like, all right, here's the probabilities, here's what's going to happen, and, and that's, that's, that's where we're at. That's what's going to happen. But we just don't see that in the Bible. God makes so many promises and covenants, and he follows up and follows through with every single one. And we see that in our text today. And ultimately, sometimes the Israelites will make these promises or covenants with God, or more often than not, vice versa, where God makes these promises with his people, and they just don't like the result of what happens when they break those promises. They don't like the consequences. They may like the promise in the beginning because it sounds good. It sounds like they're going to get out ahead, but then they break it. And it's because God is working whether we like it or not. If I, if I were to make a promise like I often do to uh, go to the gym four times a week, A, I'm not going to make that promise because it's a bad promise to make, but if I were to, uh, if, if I were to make that promise and I weren't to follow through with it, and you know, maybe if I'm lucky I go once, then I'm going to face the consequences of that action. If there's a, a gym buddy who I, I tell I'm going to meet them there and I just don't, that's going to have relational consequences and then there's going to be the uh, physical consequences, but we don't like to talk about that part. But God, God keeps his promise. He keeps all of his promises. Uh, he promises the Israelites he's going to defeat their enemies. He promises he's going to protect them. He promises he's going to deliver them from Egypt when they are enslaved. But he also promises that he will punish them if they don't hold up their side of the deal. And that's one of the parts of faith that we don't really like, we're a bit more uncomfortable with. You know, we say that we want a just God who's going to punish, punish the bad people, he's going to stop evil in the world. And I think that's good, but we don't really like it when we're the ones who are doing wrong. It's not really that often that we put ourselves in the shoes of the, 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 evil, the evil people, the evil group. We don't really put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites when they're building idols. We don't put ourselves in the shoes of, of Judas when he betrays God. We don't put ourselves in the Pharisees' shoes when they're being legalistic or when they're excluding people from the church because we like our clean, white, sinless shoes to stand away from those other people. Because we serve a just God who is faithful to even the promises that we think suck. I think back to the story of Samson and he, he made this promise called the Nazarite vow. And it was basically that he, were to, he's, he was going to abstain from several things in his life, things that were kind of above and beyond what uh, a follower, an Israelite, were to do at that time. 
And one of those things was that he promised he would not cut his hair. And then we see that Samson, through uh, a myriad of ways, falls short and ends up cutting his hair and he loses his strength. He loses out on the gift that God gave him. That's probably a promise that he did not like that was held up. There's this amazing Hebrew, or Hebrew poem in Numbers 19 that we see. And the, the author writes, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? That's such a beautiful view of the God that we worship. He will make good on his promises. Looking at our next point, when we go back to that main passage, we see that in their remembrance of past sins, God's people still worship. I've been thinking about this one a lot. It reveals a huge human tendency of ours. And I want you to think, for some of you, it might be a little harder than others to think or to make this example. Uh, But... Think about the last time you wrote a card, like a a good card, and not like a, you know, happy Mother's Day, thanks for all the work you do, you know, thank you. Like, I'm talking like a good, heartfelt, good, good card. But how how do you start that process? We begin by thinking, after we get our fancy pen out and our card stock and our paper source, paper, you know, Nice stuff. After we get all that out, we start thinking about how that person makes us feel. And that's not a bad thing, but we reflect on how we feel. And then very quickly, the letter consists of, oh, you make me feel this way, or I am so happy when you do this, or I love it when you do this. And those aren't bad things to reflect on, but very quickly that card becomes about us. And you see the word I and my and uh, ours all over it, and then it's just a very, you're like writing a card about yourself. But that's just not the posture of God's people here. They're going back and they're looking at what happens to them, but they highlight God in all of it. If we look at our passage again, there's a few, a few words that are highlighted. We see our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. It starts with worship. It goes on to say, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully. You gave them this spacious and fertile land. And yet they didn't serve you or turn from their evil ways. There is so much worship in here. And they have every right to, to, to wallow, to be sad. They've been in exile for so long. They haven't been in their, their, their home. They haven't been able to enjoy any of those things. They have every right, every human right, to be sad about this. But regardless, they are in a posture of worship, as we see in that first line. And what happens is they're feeling all this conviction, and they're, they're going through all this repentance and they're, they're looking at all this sin, and yet they still are able to praise. 
Those are often two things that we divorce from each other and we, we see conviction and sin and, and, and guilt and, and, and pain and all that and we, we kind of hold it pretty far away from praise because those two things can't coexist. But what's wrong with that is that those things, that confession, conviction, and sin, they should breed praise. When we feel the uh, the weightlessness of the sin just coming off us, that should breed praise. I think it's I think it's Daniel that that talks about how the conviction feels like a heavy hand on your shoulder just weighing you down. And that feeling of that be, of that hand being lifted off should cause us to praise God. Those two things should be together. And we see that in the Israelites here. They're taking accountability for their, their ancestors' actions and their own, which is our third point today, is that God's people take accountability for their part in history. We see this entire chapter, God's people, they're going through their ancestral history. They start in Genesis and they go way past Deuteronomy. And yet they don't rewrite the books. They're not rewriting the textbooks, the history books, which is something that, you know, some of our ancestors have done. I think if we admit there's often uh, parts in, in education that people are looking to reform now where we see certain uglier stories being taken out. And I'm not saying that, like, second graders need to know that anything more happened in 1492. I think just Columbus is fine. But just think about the tendency that we have to, to clean up the image of ourselves when we tell stories. If you were to tell a story to your parents of something cool that happened today, you're going to tell them the good part and not the part that you were just messing around in class. Even, I mean, think about even in sermons, when we tell stories, we're going to take out the, the irrelevant parts, the parts that we maybe feel don't add to the story, and we're just going to, we want to convey whatever message we want to tell you. We just clean things up as people when we tell stories. But the Israelites don't. They are so brutally honest about what has gone on in their past and what has gone on in their family history. And they acknowledge it and take responsibility for it. If we take a look at the passage again, I highlighted other verses. It says, We acted wickedly while you were acting faithfully. We did not follow your law. We did not pay attention. We did not serve you or turn from, their, from our evil ways. This is a pretty honest recount of history. They're not leaving anything up to chance. They're not saying, oh, we didn't know. Like, oh, we thought that was an outdated version of the, the words. We, we, we translated that wrong. They didn't, take, they didn't make any excuses. They took responsibility for it. They took the blame. They know what they've done and they know the consequences for those things. And they knew the consequences of, oh, you know, like, I guess it's not like they said, uh, Syria just accidentally captured us and brought us into exile and tortured us. They, they knew that it was God's hand. Instead, they said, look, we screwed up. We did something that you told us not to. 
and you have every right as a righteous God to punish us for that. But all the while, they're able to worship God in that. They're looking at their past and they're taking accountability, but they are still worshiping God. Because in all of this, they know that God is compassionate. They know that there are consequences for their actions, but they know God is compassionate and that he forgives. They know that they have built their own idols. They know that they have uh, just rebelled over and over again, but they know that God is compassionate. He let them build this wall. He's letting them have their land back even when they're sinning against him. God then later on makes this promise of a coming Messiah who is going to have the government on his shoulders. And to me, if we see all these promises be upheld by God, and then we see a promise about a Messiah come, we know that God is going to follow through with it. And we see that happen in the Gospels. And Christ makes several promises on earth. One being, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So if we see God make all of these promises in the Old Testament, we see him follow through, we see the beginning and the end of these promises, these covenants, then it should be darn easy for us to believe the promises that Jesus makes. God kept his promises in the Old Testament and he will keep the promises that he made in the New Testament. And I want you to think, if you see all this evidence in the Old Testament, then why is it hard to believe sometimes in the New Testament? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. And I pray that you will weigh on us. Lord, I pray that you will allow us to be honest with our doubts, to be honest about our sins, to be honest about the large church body's past. And Lord, I ask that in all of that honesty that we can acknowledge the, the pain and the conviction that we feel, but also hold the praise that we are forgiven from that. Lord, I pray that you will give us the faith when we need it to trust in your promises. In your name we pray. Amen.